Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. So hey everybody, welcome to episode 255 of the More Than Just Code podcast. My name is Tim Mitchell and I am in Toronto, Ontario, and I'm joined once again by Mark Rubin down in San Jose, California, Hello. and Jaime Lopez Jr. in Seattle, Washington. How's it going? Right, sunny Seattle, Washington, I would assume. It was actually cloudy and overcast <sighs> today, except the sun is peeking out at this very moment. <laughs> at the last gasp before it goes down for the night. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So is it supposed to rain tomorrow? The holiday? It is going to be a mixture. I think we will get some rain and then in some sun or possibly the reverse during the day. Hmm. Well, I, man, I was going to tell you guys on Slack that I was just reading today that uh, I forget what it was, maybe on news or something, that apparently that charbroiled hamburger or steak that you're going to eat tomorrow uh, has a certain chances are you can get cancer from that kind of food. No, yeah, they've been saying that for years. Oh, well, I will say research causes cancer in rats, right? Yeah. So yeah, yeah. So yeah, so you got the big holiday coming up tomorrow, and then I guess you're off on Friday as well. I was off today as well, so. I- we had mm. today, tomorrow, and Friday off. So nice long, wow. long weekend. Wow, not bad. Mm-hmm. What are you, like three weeks into your new jig gig here? Or? It's almost, it's about a month or so. Yeah. Really? Mm-hmm. Really? Okay. All right. Um, yeah, so we have a couple of fact check things. One is I, I heard back from uh, a person who is Yuli Witness on uh, Twitter, and he tells me that the talking moose is very much still around. Um, and he com- he says, I, I don't have much time to fix things Apple broke in, in speech synthesis, he said. So I assume he's been maintaining the the, the code for more, the talking moose. So I don't know who he is or where he's from, but I, th- I get the, uh, yeah, it says Germany, I think, uh, which is strange, right? Anyway, so I had a quick exchange with him about the moose. The talking moose. Did you go to the the link and get the moose? I did not. I mean, that wasn't. Uh, uh, yeah, Zar- yeah, that's why I thought it was uh, Germany because of the URL. Zathras D dot D E uh, slash moose is the the link. Um, I, I, to be honest with you, I, I, I like this. I like the fact he's going back to the flat moose, which is nice because they went to a three D moose for a while, and I really didn't like that that moose. I like you know, I guess it was like the 
mid to late eighties and or I guess late eighties or nineties, early nineties that they they went to System Seven and came up with this three D rendered moose, which I didn't I found was kind of crass. But I see that he's back as a flat guy for Mac OS ten, right? Universal binary. So there you go. Yuli's moose, he's called, or is it? Well, is it the moose, or is it just is he appropriated the idea? Hmm. I'm trying to figure out if yeah, if this was the guy who wrote the original uh, moose back in eighty six. Yeah, I know he was from um, yeah Yuli Kernster. It says at the bottom here, two thousand three to nineteen. Oh, okay. There's a, then there's a link to the website of Steve Hall's creator of the original Talking Moose. Uh, uh, this guy is not the creator, mm. but maybe he took it over, or did he just make a uh, a Moose tribute band? How about that? The original Steve. Hmm. Yeah, you can see the 3D Moose I was talking about at the bottom there, on the bottom of that page. Steve Hall's MD, medical doctor, or is he Moose doctor? Mm. You'll never know. You'll have to answer us. Anyway, moving on. Um, another quick fact check from last week. We were talking about the band Yes, and uh, I checked into it. Um, around 5940, we were talking about Yes, and specifically Bill Bruford, who was who played three songs on Yes songs, and he that was his. he left in the middle of the Close to the Edge tour, so that was when that was recorded. Um, interestingly enough that some of those songs were actually written, recorded here in, in Canada as well, hmm. but uh, as a live performance, I should say. And then Alan White took, joined the band and became the drummer for Tales of Topographic Oceans and everything beyond that, right? So I think the seminal albums we agreed, you and I, Mark, were uh, uh, the S album, uh, Fragile, and Close to the Edge, right? Yeah. yeah. So those, and those three, uh, Bruford was the drummer. Mm-hmm. And Rick Wakeman was the keyboardist. Yes, so. he was. Yeah, actually talked about it as well. All right, so moving on. So we have some follow-up here from Jaime of Zyme's. This is where we're going to run into trouble, the pronunciation of Mimoji. Yeah, Xiaomi, the uh, Chinese phone manufacturer, has been pretty well known for uh, allegedly aping Apple style. Um, you mean simult- simultaneously developing these things completely independently, right? <laughs> independently. Not, not, per- not appropriating, com- complimenting. <laughs> Commandeering. <laughs> yeah, so if you know the Mimoji, the uh, make yourself as an Animoji sort of thing, um, I think at this year's WWDC, I heard a lot of the presenters in the keynote pronounce it as Memoji. Um, yeah, Memoji, yeah. I guess that's kind of new, but if you look at Xiaomi's product line, they tend to have the Mi, the MI thing for their, their names. And uh, guess what? They have a MI, M-O-J-I, a Mimoji. And if you look at the show notes, those of you driving home, you'll see that these things are almost indistinguishable. And thankfully, this uh, Verge article actually has a pretty good uh, slider that you can sort of compare the two next to each other. There are some, some minor differences in handling of the eyes, but if you aren't looking very, very closely, it's it's indistinguishable and it's in my opinion kind of unconscionable that they've gone this far in copying this style considering that you know i'll give props to samsung right we were talking about their version of memoji with uh, childish gambino and it's a very different style right like I, I couldn't possibly mistake the childish gambino avatar for one of the memoji so there's, there's so is it, is it only to... childish bambino that you can be on the other platform on the as a pixel phone i guess uh, I think it was one of the Samsung phones, so not not a not a Google Pixel, but I, I forget which, like the S10 or something, probably. So, so this comes back then to my my original argument against Memojis and Memojis in general, is that I find that they're I, they're cute. I get it. I get the whole Bitmoji kind of you know make your or Simpson make yourself a Simpson character kind of thing. But they, how many possible combinations could you have? I mean, could you not end up with two people who kind of look like Mark having a very similar Memoji, you know, or me? <laughs> You 
know, I, I can I see that. Like, <laughs> but there's probably more combinations than than you might think. Just just from yeah, you know, just from the combinatorics of it. And so the the odds of you knowing someone who has exactly the same one are probably pretty slim. But well, I've possible. seen I've seen people on I've seen avatars on on Twitter from people from two different people that that I could I, they're indistinguishable. Mm. You know, like like they just <laughs> and, you know, and then you get people like like uh, Jim Jalrumple who has you know a, an 18 inch long beard. There's no 18 inch long beard in the Memoji catalog, right? Mm. So the best he can do is like a sort of a scraggly beard, you know. But yeah, there's, there's no biker beard, you know. And but um, yeah. but yeah, I, I just find that that unless even even the Tim Cook one, I'm sure there are people who can look like Tim Cook in their Memoji choices, right? I, I kind of suspect you're thinking through this a little too deeply here, Tim. <laughs> it's not meant to be a photorealistic thing. No, I'm not saying it's meant to be photorealistic, but I'm saying it's 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 homogenizing you. Oh, let's look, let's look at, take take the analogy of analog music versus digital music. You know, what do you have to do to digitize music? You have to throw a bunch of uniqueness away, right? You know, the bits between the bits, right? So it has to it has to like reach a common denominator at some point, right? It's just not expressive enough for me. Hmm. I, I think with the Memoji style, the big issue, uh, and actually, if you scroll down into the comments, there's a an image from uh, Lozende, Lozende, I think is the username, where they show what Nintendo Nintendo's Miis look like, uh, originating with the Nintendo Wii. And even though they're largely just ovals, you know, yeah. shaped um, heads, there's a lot more variety in those. And I think it's because the, the Miis from Nintendo allow you to put together some really garish combinations. Like there are some horrifyingly <laughs> poorly designed looking um, sort of Miis in there. Whereas all of the Mimoji, they all look really good. Like they've all got a very consistent uh, pleasing style, regardless of what sort of weird combination you tried to put. And I do feel like there is a little bit more of the homogenization from the Mimoji and the uh, the Xiaomi Mimoji that the the much more open and, and, and sort of crudely drawn Nintendo Mies do not suffer from. Yeah, they they look kind of like like balloon heads. Yeah. Second row down, second door, second row down from the left looks like Mick Jagger, the third character, and the fourth character looks like Jack Black, right? Yeah, and then in the yeah. the lower left corner second from the left is uh don king yeah <laughs> like it's got to be don king if it's not don king, it's a, yeah, only potato in america head. you know I, I don't know who else it could be yeah <laughs> it looks like mr potato head on the right hand side interesting yeah and, and and so the don king and the mr potato head they're like design wise completely not congruent right mm-hmm. and so there's a bit more openness in there so i i don't really mind memoji from a um you know having a different avatar thing i think there's just a little too much sameness in mm-hmm. them because you're right tim there's definitely occasions where I've had to look on Twitter and like, all right, which user am I responding to? There are several people with the same sort of light brown gingery hair yeah. and the same glasses and the same basic beard. Yeah. And so I just have to be very careful because I've almost replied to the wrong one. Oh, really? <laughs> thinking it was a different person. I told I said, wait a minute. Uh-huh. <laughs> when, did their, when did their avatar change angles of the face? <laughs> it was the, literally the angle of the face that threw me off. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. I just dropped my mic. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I like the I like the little picture of the guy giving the talk and it says one more thing dot 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 the fake jobs. That's the first image there. Anyway. Yeah, that that was from a Xiaomi keynote as well. 
where they were. Was it their own keynote? Yeah, oh, wow. I, it was some years ago, pretty pretty early on in the company's history. And yeah, they they've just sort of always had that company culture of aping the Apple style. Well, imitation is the sincerest form of flattery. Yeah, I mean, they were clearly saying, "Look, this is a winner. We're going to copy the winner." You know, yeah. nobody, nobody copies. You know, nobody copies losers. That's a that's a losing proposition. That's true. That's true. True. We the podcast. All right. Um, so what else you got for us? I mean, FaceTime wise. This other one, I feel like this this follow up section could have been the WTFU uh, section that we've had <laughs> before because continuing along the path of weirdo things. So apparently in beta three of iOS thirteen, there's a new feature in um, in FaceTime calls that will correct where your eyes are looking, so that rather than looking like you really are looking in the real world, you're looking a, a little off from where the camera is looking, right? You're looking at the screens in your own face. This corrects, you know, air quotes here, corrects the image so that your eyes appear to be looking at the receiver of the call. So it looks a little bit more This is an interesting thing. Whenever I take a selfie with somebody, I always tell them to look at the notch, right? Because that's where the the lens is because otherwise you look like you're looking off into space sort of of thing, right? But we have a unique opportunity here, Jaime. Have you got, have you, you've got FaceTime set up on your phone? Mm -hmm. Well, I have, I happen to have, uh, oh, do I have the beta? I don't know. Oh, maybe I don't. I may have spoken too soon. That would have been a unique opportunity for us to try this, right? Well, Live with the magic here. of editing, by the time this episode comes out, <laughs> we can do <laughs> we can do the test. Well, we can try it anyway. Let's see. Let's see if it. Uh, let's see if we look like we're not looking at each other. So FaceTime. What's your What's your FaceTime thingy? It should be probably the same as my email. Okay, let's try that video live on the air. One ringy dingy, two ringy dingies. Did I lose him? Have I broken the internet? Oh, hang up. Are you guys still there? I am. Oh, okay. Hi, Mary. Are you still there? One sec. I'm getting things set up. I wasn't. I wasn't prepared. <laughs> no. Oh no. Oh, the, the, I missed the FaceTime call. One sec. Do it again. Wait. I've got. I've got the beta 13 on my phone here. I don't. Know, I don't know which version it is. Oh, there you are. <laughs> the look of horror on your face. That's Chris great. <laughs> Get the microphone in here. Oh, I should do a screenshot while we're so, doing this, right? I have to remind you guys, this is an audio medium, so no one... Yeah. We're going to try to describe. So, okay. Okay, Tim, where are you actually looking right now? Uh, I am looking at your at your eyeballs. Okay. Right. You do yeah. kind of look like you're looking off angle. Do I? If I, look, if I look at if and I'm looking at the notch, how does it look now? Now you look like you're actually looking at my face, but you're using 13 beta three. Yeah, well, no, I don't know. I don't know if I have beta three. To be honest with you, I don't know what I have. Are you recording your three? phone here? To, uh, I guess it would be Jaime to see. I took a screenshot. Did you take a screenshot, Jaime? I did not, but I can. One sec. Yeah. But, oh, so wait a minute. So sorry, it would be on Tim's phone because you have the beta that you would see the correction. Jaime, you wouldn't see anything. No, he would. The correction would be my my correction to him, right? Is it? Yeah, like my face is my face is full full screen on his phone, right? Right. So where is the correction? Is the correction being done on the? By the way, for those of you driving at home, I just want to point out that Jaime's hair is still poking up above his headphones. <laughs> so, so do we know? Is the correction being done on the incoming image or the outgoing image? It's supposed to be done on mine because or whoever's on thirteen. It's supposed to. I guess. I guess it changes the angle of the of the. But the but is it doing it? Look, do you know for sure that it's doing the correction on your image that's being sent out no because i don't know if i i'm running ios 13 but i don't know what i don't know what let me go let me jump out of here and see what version i'm running yeah to answer your question mark i don't know if it's symmetric like it it sounds like you're guaranteed to see it on the receiver side because that's the point of it but i don't know if you the sender the feed that you're seeing of yourself what that looks like right right exactly i mean i don't see any reason why they wouldn't make it the same for both but i could see there being some technical reasons 
or, they can. or would you only? It's possible that you'd only see it on the on the receiver side because it's being done on the sender side. So if so, if Tim Tim has got Tim has the iOS thirteen version. So if they're doing the correction on his outgoing signal, then only you would see it. Right. Your phone, I mean, doesn't doesn't have that feature to to do the correction on your outgoing signal. But on the other hand, if iOS thirteen is only doing it on the incoming, it's not going to do it on both. But if it if it does it on the incoming signal, then only you would see it, Tim, and not Jaime. So the uh, question is, who's seeing it? If it, if anyone. Well, based on the images that are showing here, the person on the the, the main screen um, is the one who's who's. It's it's like doing a keystoning effect, like you know how you do on projectors to make it look like change the perspective on the image, right? Because he's still looking down, but they're they're doing some mojo to make it look like he's looking up. The claim here in the article from a uh, a tweet by Dave Shukin is that apparently this works by AR kit grabbing a depth mapped position of your face and adjusting the eyes accordingly. So that right. to me, so on the sending it's on like sending side. And then I would guess that on the receiving side, they could do the same if you are also using the upgraded version of iOS. Well, if they send the depth information. Well, from the receiver, right? Which no, from the sender, right? So, so you have to get to so why wouldn't the sender video just like you, so there maybe I'm missing something so so let's say the sender is the one who has the upgraded version so right. it, the real camera takes an image mm-hmm. you know or streaming images from the camera uses the depth map to figure out where the eyes are adjust the eyes in the images and mm-hmm. then sends that information yes to the receiver that's right that's what makes most sense right and then on the receiver side I mean they're kind of a sender going in the opposite direction right so yeah. assuming they also have a compatible device, I would assume that the eyes would be corrected going the opposite way too. For, for the receiver's face. But it doesn't make sense to do any correction on, on of the same image on both sides, obviously, right? So each side is going to correct one image. Yeah, mm-hmm. I would think that the one, the, yeah. like the iPhone XS side is going to be the one doing it because that's, the, I think the one that's picking up the image with the, you know, with the with the 3D camera, like Jaime the said. Se- the sender, yeah. So, yeah. So, so, Jaime, for your picture, you're the sender, Tim's the receiver. Tim, for your picture, you're the sender, Jaime's the receiver. So you're both the right. sender and the receiver at the same time. So so it, it, it totally makes sense that the sender in each case would be the one doing the, the uh, calculation yeah. for two reasons yeah. that I can think of. One is it's got the data. Now, yeah. in theory, you could count, you could record the data and send it along if you wanted to, but that sort of doesn't make sense because if for no other reason, uh, if you're in a group call, then if you send the, the info to four different people, then each of those four different people has to do the same calculation and that's kind of wasteful. So it's, it's, it makes more sense for the sender to just do it once and then send the corrected image. So I'm I'm voting for sender side. Yeah, I, I could see I could see that you reduce the amount of data. Um, I guess it depends on how quickly they can do the changes prior to the image being sent over the network. And I guess network latency would buy you enough time to deal with that rather than doing like... Uh, so the alternative model you're talking about of send real image, send corrective data as well. And then mm-hmm. on the receiving side, you splice the two together. Yeah, it kind of works a little bit the way that um, real-time multiplayer games work, like I don't know, like Doom, right? I know it's a rather old game, but like, uh, or maybe Quake. 
like is probably a better one where network connected games will locally make some calculations, predict what they think is going to happen so they can make changes on the sort of local machine that the mm-hmm. player is using. But then the server decides what actually happened as it synchronizes everything and can send corrective information to be like, no, actually you missed that guy because he was over here instead. Mm. And they do it uh, fast enough and well enough that it's generally seamless. Although you will, uh, you will find some hilarious videos on YouTube where I want to say it was like killer instinct for the Xbox one, where you could watch two different streams of the same fight and one player won and the other player won. And it just, cause they got out of sync and their, their syncing code was, oh, was right. wrong. Yeah. It was hilarious. Like <laughs> it just looked like the other guy gives up, but it turns out like he's getting beat up from the other guy who also thinks that the other guy has given up. Huh. But in this case, I, uh, I don't, I don't know how much it actually gains you because there's a certain latency that comes from, uh, the sum of network time plus decoding time, whichever side it's on. And whatever that total time is, is how much lag you're going to get in your stream. And that's kind of fixed no matter which side it's on. Whereas in your case, there's this there's this kind of very fast, you know, send information up and then get information back to respond to something you're doing. And the timescales are a lot faster, I think, in that case, right? Because yes, you want to, you want to have what you're saying sent over as fast as possible so that the person doesn't see uh, a noticeable lag, right? And like you're talking to someone on Mars, right? Uh, but but there isn't this up and back. There's not the, the round trip that you would get in the game to respond to, you know, you, you press the fire button. You want that round trip to be as fast as possible. Anyway, we're probably thinking about this way too much too. <laughs> Reverse engineering. How, yeah. do, how does this work? Yeah. How would we have implemented it? It, it is, it is all kind of creepy though. So I'm, I'm wondering if uh, in iOS 14, <laughs> if there's going to be, this is going to be coupled with, with CreateML yeah. and CoreML so that you won't even have to be on the phone call. It'll, just generate a, a deep fake of you to have the conversation for you if you don't. Yeah, it'll be like in uh, it'll be like in the uh, um, Rise Return of the what's it Rise of the Jedi? What's the one that um, no? What's the what's the second Star Wars movie called? Last of the Jedi, where all of a sudden Jaime and I will just start talking to each other and. You know, the last the Jedi with, from uh, director Ryan Johnson. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With the with the the, the Jedi FaceTime calls. Yeah. Anyway, on that note, <laughs> yeah, I, I see that movie. I don't. I don't get the reference. I don't know. Anyway, it doesn't matter. It's the one. The one where Luke. Uh, Luke. Uh, they. Oh yeah, Luke. yeah. So I saw that movie. Yeah. I don't. I still don't. You know the scene where, where Kylo Ren and and uh, Ray keep seeing each other. Like they keep. You know, something happens. The violins play, and they're they're talking to each other, and they can see each other across across different uh, across the void. There's like three scenes in the movie where they do that. Mm. Okay. I mean, I call yeah. it the Jedi FaceTime call. I see. Okay. Yeah, anyway, so let's talk about the elephant in the room, shall we? So the big news last week, and this happened like, again, of course, a minute after we finished recording, <laughs> that uh, it, the world learned that Johnny Ive apparently is leaving Apple to go and form his own company. And of course, all kinds of people have throwing around all kinds of speculation about this. And, you know, stock stock took a bit of a dip. I don't know if it would call it a nosedive, although some places did call it that, I guess, for clickbaity titles and uh but of course yeah it's, i mean it's way up now from then not way up but is it oh yeah oh it's gone up from then it's recovered yeah it's recovered it's up yeah. to, it was close at around 204 today oh cool yeah so, so um yeah which is good because i mean it was down like 97 mm-hmm. or 97 i think mm-hmm. when when this all when this news broke yeah um and and i don't know i mean having having had a week to sort of digest it and read all the, the panicky stuff uh there was an interesting article in bloomberg from mark german about the fact that uh he's been working on 
on this for a while, like three or four years now. He's been sort of, you know, pl- making the moves to sort of start up his own company and and, uh, and and has been, you know, moving away from this. And again, it comes back to this whole knee-jerk reaction that people have over Apple. When Steve Jobs got sick, everybody panicked. When Steve Jobs died, everybody panicked. Um, and we've, as we said all along, that Apple is not a one-person company, right? Uh, Steve Jobs was not the only person who was innovative at Apple. Obviously, Apple is very good at about hiring innovative people and uh, they would carry on in the same in the same sense that they would be fools to have like one chief designer who designed everything and and nobody else is allowed to lift a pencil um, so clearly they the people who uh, f- worked with uh, Johnny Ive have stepped up and now have taken on more or probably already had those more um, more involved roles and the design team at Apple uh, carries on so before I move on to Joe's article what do you guys think about this this story this week yeah I, I don't I honestly don't think it's that big of a deal. I kind of suspect that the same people who are predicting, you know, doom and gloom and the end of the world and complaining that that uh, everything's going to end, you know, when he leaves, are kind of the same people that have been complaining uh, for pretty much the entire time that Johnny Ive has been sort of the number one product guy. That Apple hasn't come out with any new and innovative new products in all that sure. time. I think it's probably the same people who just like to complain about Apple. So I, I I don't think it's that big of a deal, really. I mean, I think if he's got a consultant company, he's just going to you know, work from a different location and, and on his own terms a little more. But he's still going to do the same stuff that he's been doing. I mean, the story of somebody going off and deciding, that, okay, I've had enough of growing you know, in the company the way it is, and I'm going to go off and, and become a consultant. Nine times out of ten, the first customer for that consultant is the company they're leaving. Sure. Right? Yeah. You know, that's that's a common practice, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so what do you think, Hami? Yeah, I've seen a lot of hot takes that, like, you know, this is the best thing ever for Apple. Um, <laughs> this is the worst thing ever for Apple. And I think the truth is kind of somewhere in between. Um, there are, I think, tons of really good designers at Apple. And now you have different voices that can come to the forefront since you have a different leader now. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it might actually be time for something different. I mean, Johnny has been in the company 20, 30 years, something like that. That's a, that's a really long time to be sort of at the forefront of things. Mm-hmm. And in terms of, I don't know, company history, I mean, it's Apple's had good design prior to Johnny Ive, and I don't see why it couldn't have good design after him. Right? They also have bad right design, culture. too. Let's not forget about the bad design that they've had. Yeah, they've, <laughs> they've definitely had uh, who, hits who and misses. Who designed the Cube, the 20th anniversary Mac I Cube? Was that Johnny Ive? I'm don't not know. sure. don't know. Yeah, but like and the, I, and the I, round I, mouse that came with the yeah uh, the puck mouse was that with the, with the original iMac he was he was involved in that one for sure yeah because that was he was around for the first sort of that Bondi blue Bondi sorry mm-hmm. people in mm-hmm. Australia Bondi blue um, iMac and then the, the iMacs that came after you know the strawberry iMacs and all that kind of stuff he was he was involved in that stuff yeah I, I actually kind of wonder if it if it isn't time for Apple to become a little less design focused and a little bit more engineering focused than they've been, mm-hmm. or at least the perception of what they've been. Because it's, you know, we've, we've been complaining for years now about how the, the quality has been going down. Uh, and of course, I remember in one of our first episodes, I'm making the case that the quality level hasn't really been going down. It just seems like it has been. It's always kind right. of been sort of mediocre. Uh, but... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but but with a nice, nice sheen to it, and a shiny apple. Right. So so it's certainly possible, and I, and I don't know, you know, not being an apple, but it's certainly possible that they make certain engineering trade-offs because they mm-hmm. have to meet a certain design aesthetic and some of the bugs and you know less than desirable behavior creeps in because they're making compromises to meet the to meet that aesthetic whereas if they had a little bit more
more of an engineering focus, yeah, it might not look quite as good. Uh, might not be quite as polished, but it might work a little better. Maybe. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think there's some some truth in a lot of that where I think the, the obsession with simplicity of form and thinness and other things have actually been like really good in a lot of cases. But then you'll have some counter cases like, you know, the keyboard situation mm. that have people like, well, I don't know, maybe, maybe in our hubris, we've made this laptop too thin sort of thing, right? And mm-hmm. Or things, I, I, things like Bendgate version <laughs> one and version yeah. two, right? There was the, yeah. the large iPhone version, then there was the... Or the why can't Apple design version. a decent keyboard, right? Yeah. The big argument against the current keyboard. Which brings us to our friend of the show, Joe Chaplinski's uh, piece called If the Shoe Doesn't Fit, Grab Your Shoehorn. And uh, his, his piece here is just a quick little post that he put up about quoting some of the articles that have been out there last week um, and how they, they're trying to create, you know, a trend or they kind of report on a trend. You know, for instance, one major new product in the post-jobs area, the Apple Watch, made its debut about five years ago, but they missed the point that the iPad debuted five years before that and the iPhone itself was two years prior to that, so seven years. You know, the iPod, another seven years before that, and then the iMac itself, 17 years prior. And he says, like, do you see a pattern? No, neither do I. It's not even, like, it's just, there's no pattern to this. There's no logic to this, right? Um, and a 5% decline in the, on the 46 million units of sold per quarter now defines, it qualifies as faltering. Uh, a 5% decline of, of is not really faltering in sales. Like like I just said about the stock price going down a couple of bucks last week, and, and as you pointed out, now it's up three bucks or so, Mark, is not, not doomed, uh, a doomed stock price, right? Mm-hmm. So, so um, yeah, it's just, I, I just like this article by Joe, and it's, I think people, it's, it's a real quick read for people to have a look at it and sort of see that these, there isn't much uh, substance to what people are talking about in terms of the, the, the naysayers are putting out about Apple being not being innovative and all that kind of stuff and how Johnny Ive leaving Apple is going to make a huge, uh, it's an opportunity for news, but it's not an oppor- really opportunity for actual air quotes news about Apple, right? Yeah. Yeah. I suspect there's, there's uh, too much space given in the entire media given to, uh, too much space given to Apple relative to the amount of news that Apple could possibly generate so mm-hmm. stuff like this. And in addition to that, we're in the post WWDC, you know, probably half of Apple's on vacation, summer break right now. Uh, so there's not, there's not a lot of news coming out. So stuff has to be generated to fill in the, the space. Yeah, there was an interesting piece too. The, uh, I think there was a tweet by, or captured a reply to one of the authors from somebody saying, assuming Tim Cook, because it was signed Tim from my iPhone, could have been me for all we know, right? Um, talking about how the, the sort of rebutting some of the arguments that these people had made, just to, that it's just it's unrealistic that Apple would have one key designer that would be the, the root of all, right? So, mm-hmm. yeah, all right. So, yeah, I, I found it kind of interesting. One article today, I want to say, that was supposedly, oh no, Johnny Ive was frustrated that, you know, Tim Cook doesn't care about design. I'm like, you're right, he doesn't, because he's not Steve Jobs, right? He's a completely different kind of yeah. CEO. He compare, he cares, for, as far as I can tell, about a completely different set of things, right? Like Apple's even more uh, giving back to the community, at least, you know, openly, much more under Steve, uh, sorry, under uh, Tim, Cook Tim Cook than yeah. Steve Jobs, right? It's a very, very different kind of company. So I think even if, even if you t- 
took it as true that like Johnny really wanted somebody who was more like Steve, then it kind of seems like, yeah, maybe it was time for him to move on. Like go find the next Steve, go find your next, uh, or be the next you know, Steve. Yeah. Find, find the next, you know, John Lennon or Paul McCartney to pair up with. Um, if it's a different company, that would just be a frustrating thing for me. Right. If I was sitting there in his shoes and thinking, gosh, this person doesn't have the same priorities I do. It's like, okay, there's no harm, no foul. Go, go do different things. Well, and, but the, keep in mind too, that, that, which we didn't talk about yet, but he's basically got his first customer is Apple and apparently is a million dollars worth of a million dollars. Is that maybe, that may be a low, low estimate of business that he's going to get direct you near know, directly from Apple, Apple being one of his main customers to start with. Right. So it's not like he's going far, right? That's yeah. Point. <laughs> and when did Steve Jobs die? Was it like 2011, something like that? Yeah. It's been a while. Yeah, it's right. been a while. He could have, if, if he didn't like Tim Cook, he probably should have figured that out by now. Yeah. So we're Scott Forrest all these days. That's a really good question. It's really weird that he's not like CEO of some company. Somewhere. <laughs> I mean, you look at like, uh, you know, Andy Rubin, the head of Android was, uh, he's been in the news for a lot of like really unfortunate things for him lately. Um, but at the very least, you know, he was in the news prior to that for being CEO of uh, Essential, right? Just kind of trying to do the virtual assistant in um, Android-ish type of thing all over again. But it's just really weird that somebody like Scott Forstall hasn't visibly shown up somewhere else. By the way, no relation to Andy Rubin and me. Andy Rubin, the uh, guy from CBS? Hmm? No? Or Rick Rubin? <laughs> oh, between you. Yeah, yeah between Mark, Mark and Mark. <laughs> no, no, no relation to Rick Rubin either, Mark? No relation. Mark's cousin Andy, you know. No. Unfortunately. No. Not, not Uncle Rick Rubin? Nope. <laughs> uh-huh. I'm just scanning real quick to see if we can find that uh, tweet. Where is it? By the way, did you guys see this this tweet about this girl lifting up these uh, bottles of wine through the, the fence? Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I've seen the video and I've seen one particular caption. What was the caption that you saw it with? Oh, probably about helping. Uh, what happens when you help? Um, oh, fixing a bug in your code. Pay some random to do appears here. Just as, This is just a package to solve your issue. Oh, I, I saw it as a um, 10X engineer snark. So for those of you who haven't seen the video, which I'm sure Tim will find and put in the show notes, um, it is... A woman who has a like a chain link fence in front of her, and on the other side of the fence are two bottles of wine, and she's picking up one bottle of wine sort of through the chain link fence and trying to like you know hand over hand wriggle this all the way up so she can get over the fence. Right. While she's part way up the fence, a quote unquote helpful person comes by, gets the other bottle, and puts it into her second hand. Yeah. So now she has two bottles, one in each hand, and no way of moving forward because if she lets go and these bottles are far enough apart she can't possibly grab one and then move the other and so she's basically stuck or or left to break the bottles by just letting them drop so do you think that said it was the video was set up <laughs> like it was part of a candid camera sort of thing or like a joke uh, uh variety show or something fake i'm news, not sure fake news kind of thing yeah i'm not sure but you could like i think people really read into it and i think it seems like it made its way around um developer programmer circles because there are a lot of instances where superficially it seems like somebody's helping, but it turns out they're they're actually not. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Going, going back to Joe's article, it really sort of strikes me. You know, we have this saying that, you know, this is the greatest thing since sliced bread. And it really should be updated, right? 
it should be what you know this is the greatest thing since iphone like mm. who who has come up with something uh, something better even apple you know according to the the critics here has, hasn't had a hit like that. i was like yeah sure because it's kind of a once in a generation hit has anything else been as successful as as iphone yeah the internet and the computer i mean since then i mean since <laughs> since you know post since uh, the internet nothing yeah i mean it's, it's after after the iphone there there really isn't i mean we've heralded the things you know like the amazon echoes and other things like those collectively probably end up selling less than the apple watch right which took a little while to get off the ground but is really popular um airpods which seem to be poo-pooed in the, um in the wall street journal is like oh you know it hasn't been enough to shore up sales like airpods are ridiculously successful it's a 149 dollar yeah. product that darn near everybody seems to have at least you know in tech circles um i suspect they're probably making their way out further into sort of the average mainstream just like we saw with watch right apple watch was out in the tech circles yeah. first when and then first made its way out, it was mainstream. it was considered a joke it was considered a complete failure right but For the airport no no the apple watch oh yeah. right yeah yeah that's you did you mentioned watch there for me, right i didn't just trip, I, didn't, I did i did watch, watch yeah, yeah. sort of with the same pattern of um early adopters techno savvy folks getting it first and then pretty rapidly making its way yeah. out into the mainstream yeah still waiting for HomePod to do that <laughs> slowly you know with my, next year when my wwdc 2020 pre, you know pre-show prediction is maybe they'll do cloud functions hosted you know cloud kit functions hosted through um you yeah. know buddy build or something yeah that's that that's the key to the two trillion dollar company yeah. valuation I, I do gotta say though i i still really like my HomePod, so i'm i'm pretty happy with the purchase i still think yeah. i'm getting a second one to take it going the stereo route yeah yeah nice what do you, do you guys use it all the time for like music and stuff or well not all the time but you know often but i mean that's his main purpose is your entertainment oh yeah i use it for music yes yeah yeah i don't really use i mean i use siri to sometimes to uh tell it to play music but actually it's more likely that i'll just use uh my computer and pick something and and have it uh just send it to the to the home pod and play it so i just use it as a speaker mm, yeah really i guess cool. okay yeah maybe that's maybe that's why i have a more positive opinion about it than others is i'm i'm just using it for the speaker I'm not using it as a personal assistant at all. I, I make no attempt to try to do that. No, but I mean, it is cool. You can ask it what music to play and stuff like that, right? Yep. Yep. Yeah. I use mine in quite a different way. So I do use mine predominantly for music. I use Siri to ask it to play music. Mm-hmm. And uh, and in my case, it's because I'm not usually playing a specific playlist. It's more like, you know, the best of Queen, you know, best of the 1990s play, you know, I don't know, Aerosmith or something or, or play a particular song. And I also use it for things that I know integrate into, um, let's see, reminders for like to-do lists and also shopping lists. Mm. Um, I guess other reminders for like, remind me to do this thing uh, at a particular date and time. Uh, Add this thing, uh, add this thing to my calendar. Yeah, pretty sure I use add this thing to calendar. And so basically anything that I want to have integrate into my mobile going about and have things on Apple Watch and, and on iPhone. And the Echo tends to be more command to control for control these things around the house, mm-hmm. um, set kitchen timers, you know, give me news, that sort of thing. The Google Home tends to be more, you know, ask the magic oracle this random question, uh, control Google ecosystem things like my Chromecast. Um, 
I do find that mysteriously when it comes to weather, even though I generally don't like the weather answers from Siri, it is ridiculously good at understanding and giving me the wind chill and humidity, which both the HomePod, sorry, the uh, Google Home and the Amazon Echo kind of falter on sort of randomly for some reason. Okay, let's so whoever, hold on. Hey Siri, what's the wind chill and humidity today? I can only answer one weather fact at a time. Sorry about that. Oh, fail. <laughs> oh, I only ask for one at a time. I've, I've never, I've never tried asking both hey, as a Siri, combined sequence. Hey Siri, what's the humidity today? I can't get the humidity index for the entire day, but currently it's fifty-two percent in San Jose, California. Okay, that's not bad. Hey, Siri, what's the wind chill right now? I don't know what the wind chill for San Jose, California, the United States today is, but here's the weather forecast. Okay. Yeah. So my 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 very particular use case is needing to understand what both of those factors are because I have a tiny little chihuahua who is going to be sensitive to both of those things and have to decide what is he wearing when we go out on our walk. Wait a minute. You guys have wind chill where you guys are? Well, it's not real wind chill like in Canada. (laughs) (laughs) It it tends to matter more. It tends to matter more in the colder months because chihuahuas are high desert creatures. And being here in the Pacific Northwest, um, his fur does nothing. It's ornamental. It's painted on at best. That's just cruel. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's pretty, pretty rough here. So, so wind chill and humidity will help me understand uh, how does he need to be dressed? Does he need like a little t-shirt? Does he need a little like jacket? You know, that sort of thing. Hmm. And and those are really good. The uh, Google home and uh, Amazon echo tend to do a little better in the giving me the forecast and and also not giving me the completely irrelevant. This is given you by Yahoo weather or the weather channel or whatever it is. It says craziness, man. All right. All right. Next. Yeah, so uh, this is a quick article I found uh, last week, I think, on LinkedIn, probably. Um, article here on three steps to prepare your apps for Swift UI, Combine, iPad OS, Project Catalyst, and other leaps in the iOS industry. Um, and just a little piece here, just uh, covering off, you know, if you're, if you're, um, not so tightly coupled between your business logic and your uh, frameworks like UIKit, SwiftUI, and so on and so forth is pretty straightforward um, being able to do that. But a little bit talk about how, if you are a little bit more tightly coupled, um, how you just sort of work things out a little bit differently. And then, you know, things like um, if you haven't got a watch app already, that may be an opportunity for you to try uh, SwiftUI independent of your uh, project, right? It makes a lot of sense. And I think longtime Mac developers have been advocating for something pretty simple similar and, and saying, look, it's not that hard to make a Mac app um, pre-catalyst because you should probably separate out this domain logic anyways. And then the, the yeah. candy shell is the UI, whether it's UI kit or app kit, it shouldn't, it shouldn't matter too much. And I think uh, historically, this is kind of where um, the UI responder and the responder chain has really shined where your widget, your UI widget says, I'm really confident that somebody somewhere in the responder chain will respond to this request that the user has tapped on this button or move this slider. And then, you know, the implementation in the domain side is, is sort of none the wiser, right? There's there's something that translates that for it and turns it into, yeah. you know, away from UI kit or app kit specific things and into, oh, okay, this is what that means. The user is purchasing an album or they're adding something to their watch list. Mm-hmm. And and this is, it's it's kind of just a summation of what people have been talking about. Many people have talked about for a long time, just the, it's the clean architecture concept or 
or doing MVC the right way as opposed to you know the massive view controller way uh, where you know where where things are separated out. Uh, and so there's kind of nothing new here. There's some nice pictures, um, but uh, but it's a good summary if you haven't seen the concepts before. Yeah, or if you need to go and explain to your boss what all this means, right? Mm-hmm. No opportunity for that. All right. So what have you got here? How many of the missing check? Oh, uh, I also couldn't decide if this fit in as being a pick or if this fit in a WTFU or other. This is a post on uh, the Always Right Institute. Mm-hmm. Uh, the missing check mark, Swift Web UI. And what is that? Uh, in this case, it's a toy project put together by this individual that allows you to write Swift UI views, which display in a web browser. Oh. So web technology is, we may forget, is also also generally a declarative language. So having something that is a declarative, you know, sort of way of building views like Swift UI can lend itself reasonably well to doing this sort of nifty thing. So in this case, they've got, you know, a little import Swift web UI package and then building a struct with a main page and view and even has the fancy little at state stuff for your uh, property wrappers. And it, it looks pretty much like you would build stuff in Swift UI on um, iOS and Mac OS, but it you know translates itself to something you can view on the web. Um, so this is kind of an interesting thing. So, of course, web apps generally work by sending you know, JavaScript or something like that from the server down to your mobile device and just rendering it in your browser. Uh, so with something like this, this is this is rendering everything on the on the mobile side uh, into a into a you know, like a web view, uh, which doesn't fit into the real general web architecture. But w- would it make any sense to have something like this in a Swift on the server type environment where you could actually generate use Swift does? Swift UI on the server side, or generate Swift UI of some sort, uh, and somehow somehow communicate that down to a browser. Does this make any sense? I don't. I don't know. Maybe it doesn't make any sense. Maybe it's maybe it's kind of a solution looking for a problem here. I'm just trying to yeah, think I, how I, this could actually be used in practice. But I guess it could be used. You know, if you if you just want to, if you have an app that uses web views and you want to render stuff in the web view, you could use it for that. It's still, all mobile on the on the you know local phone side. There is an example later down in the article. Where he talks about um, using uh, like a, a server-side Swift to do that, Mark. Oh, is there? Yeah, Swift. He got the Swift UI Hello World example, um, where he, you know, you you build a command line tool, or is this, yeah, and and uh, render it in a, in a web view. I think so. Well, but if you have a web view, you're by definition not on server-side. You're on the remote side. You're on the client, right? But it's calling it from localhost, right? So just obviously being read somewhere on the ser- on the, the machine as a server. Let me look at this. Yeah, there's in in general for some of the things you're talking. About, there are sort of different philosophies. There is the uh, render everything dynamic on the server side, and then just send down sta- you know static stuff yep. to be interpreted by the yep. browser. Yep. And then there is the send down some instructions that do all the dynamic stuff. Yeah, and I, and I think Re- I think React kind of works like that too with its um, shadow DOM stuff that it does the the document object model the DOM DOM mm-hmm. that it, it does all sorts of things that um, sort of stretch the limits of what normal web technology was sort of intended or designed to do. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I kind of wonder about this as well. Um, again, the caveat here from from this person is like, look, this is a toy project to sort of like see, you know, could we do this? Not necessarily should you do this, but it is yeah. interesting to think about it from a, you know, will things start converging towards having a more modernized, you know, declarative set of constructs to build UIs that get towards the right once run everywhere. And he very distinctly points out here that, um, 
the stated goal of SwiftUI is the opposite of that. It is not write once, run anywhere, but learn once, use anywhere. Um, you know, web technology has, has gotten us pretty far along, but a lot of the stuff that's in there is sort of weird and dirty hacks that have been built up upon to do things like e-commerce and Ajax and other th weirdo thingies that browsers were sort of like not originally intended to do. Uh, you know, there's been a lot of nice stuff added on, uh, you know, HTML5 related stuff, but it's still at its core sort of not quite what you would do if you were to start from the ground up doing these things. And so I wonder if the industry uh, is sort of looking beyond just the Apple ecosystem, if we will ever have something like, is there a next thing that we can sort of have be seamlessly run uh, just about anywhere? Mm -hmm. Cool. All right. On that note, let's move on to our picks. Honey, what do you got? This first one here is ostensibly a, a GitHub pages um, collection from uh, Joseph Heck on using Combine. But really what it is, is an open book that is being sort of put together here uh, as time goes on about using Combine and learning about the core concepts and patterns and recipes. It's really the sort of thing that, that really could be like a book that you would buy from Pragmatic Pub or or Ray Wenderlich or O'Reilly. So that was pretty neat. It, I haven't really gone through this, but I did think it was pretty interesting as a use this as a, a learning exercise, start getting used to the different ways that Combine uh, offers these new concepts, or at least, you know, new to most people in the iOS ecosystem concepts. And it, it, it looks pretty interesting. I mean, it's free, so you can't argue with the price. Um, and it seems like there's some pretty good stuff in here. I, I think mm -hmm. Joseph Heck apparently is sort of writing this book as he's learning. So we're kind of learning along with them. Cool. Interesting. That's cool, right? Pretty, there's a lot of information here. It'll take a while to go through it. So what else you got for us? My second pick here is kind of on the lighter side of things. So IKEA has a um, design your own sofa online tool where you can create your own sectional sofa as as grandiose as you want. And, and it'll, they'll build it up and, and you, know, you can figure out the price. Uh, and people started making all sorts of, you know, it was almost like a, like a pixel art editor type of thing that people were, were making their own art. So the, the fine folks at IKEA have said, oh, if people like that, well, why don't we release our own font may, named Sofa Sands that is made out of couches? So they've got A, B, C, all the way to Z, the numerals one, you know, zero through through nine. And it is it, it is a font you can use. Um, I'd show this to our designer and he turned around and gave me a sketch mock-up and said, hmm, legibility is a little rough with this in our UI. And I was like, yes, yes, it is. But it's couches. It is couches, though. That's it true. can be done. You can build your own, for sure. You can make your own name in couches. Interesting. That's cool. So my pick is uh, also, a, a it's actually about combined as well, but uh, it's a, a tutorial by, or a video tutorial at, uh, by Muhammad. Azam, he's uh, he prefers to be called Azam. He um does these uh, little courses. He teaches on Udemy as well, so you can get his whole course, but uh, he has these sample courses he puts up every now and then. Um, and he, of course, has jumped onto the Swift UI bandwagon, and uh, he's got an interesting couple of... last couple of weeks, I've had some uh, videos that were interesting. Uh, what I like about his style, though, is that if you're coming at it from a sort of a very sort of junior or intermediate understanding of this kind of stuff, uh, he walks through and very clearly explains what each piece means. So in this case here... Uh, 
this one's called Understanding State in, in Swift UI, which is obviously part of using bindable objects and, uh, and other kind, kind of concepts like that. Um, he kind of walks through and explains as you go through the example what is actually going on in, in, in pretty pretty simple terms. So if you're just getting into this stuff and you're, you're not, not looking for a super deep dive, um, I recommend uh, you check out these videos. They're pretty cool. So have you watched it yet, Tim? I have watched this one. Um, yeah, like, like I said, at the end, he, he sort of switches into his, uh, um, talks about his course that he's obviously, that's where he's, one of the reasons he's doing this is to get more subscribers and uh, that kind of stuff. But yeah, I did watch this one. So can you explain what at state does in 25 words or less? That's the proof of whether you really understand. <laughs> what does at state you do in 25 words? Cut this part out if you, if you can't. <laughs> yeah, no, explain no, no. it I mean, to me I, like I'm five is the so, other way. Yeah, well, I, I think that's that's the gist of the gist of what I'm saying about about the way his his teaching style is. Yeah, I think I can probably do it. It's um, basically you have you have uh, an example Wait, he uses a toggle words? switch. Huh? No, I said should we count no. the words? Twenty five words. Or no. Less? So okay. if you have a toggle switch, let's see if I can do it quickly. Quickly, then. if you have a toggle and it, it can either you can either set the UI to light or dark. Um, at the time that you're uh, running the the uh, the the first view, it doesn't know what the state of of the background color is, for instance. So um, state, basically, what it does is when you change, um, when you add the, the ch- it's a bindable object, you have to you pass in, and uh, whether it's dark or not, and then when when it when the switch is set to on or off, it changes the state. The state updates uh, the the application and tells the view to re-render with this with the new value in the variable. And so that's that's how you, you're able to switch the background color to black and black dark or light based on on the state of the um, the variable that is dark or not. Right. That sense. that's good. That makes sense. Yeah. Ding. <laughs> I mean, I understood the explanation, but it definitely was not 25 words. Yeah, no, no. it was not 25 words. <laughs> no, 25 words is tough. So I tried live transcribing just for giggles. In 25 <laughs> words is precisely if you have a toggle, you can either set the UI to be light or dark. At this time, you're running the first view. It. It. That's as far as you go. It, like, that's that's so as far as you can get. Yeah, 25 words. <laughs> so you. It's tough. Yeah, yeah. So you you never you never got around to the point that that uh, that what I thought was interesting. The, the pieces I learned from this was was I mean obviously I've been watching a few things on on combine and stuff like that and the fact that uh, you know the the you have to pass in a bindable object and it's a, it's a, it's kind of a you know the, the it has a dollar sign to indicate that it's a bindable object in front of it and the other thing is that that every time the state changes when you get that did change val- value changes that the view is told instructed to to redraw like I guess like what do we used to, have to do uh, what was that display thing display call we used to use back in the day Mark to I used to use it in gaming to update the the view well like set needs um, layout or set well set needs replaces the more model one but there was a there was a much baser one back in the display something or other or maybe it is set, set, set there was set, there's set needs display and set needs layout then there's layout if needed that's the, the newer one that has to do with auto layout right right it was someone, there was some display thing they were using back in the day when they were doing games to update the view like oh, 60 frames a second layout subviews is that what you're talking about or, or are you yeah, talking about in, in in like a in a, a gaming OpenGL type gaming engine where you have to render all your views there was no specific built-in yeah. command for that but you would generally write uh some kind of command that you would call like a timer uh, or a clock yeah yeah and it would and it would propagate down your tree of of objects and have each one render and then render all sub views right back in the early early days anyway mm-hmm. yeah so I, I watched a couple of his um, uh as i'm uh, as i'm as i'm sharp on uh, on is his handle on youtube um yeah so he's been going through the he has other things too he, 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 i saw one 
One that I don't remember if I watched or not, but dependency injection and storyboards, that kind of stuff, which is another semi-hot topic, right? So mm-hmm. I did look for... That we talked about last week? Yeah, sorry? Are you talking about the changes that we talked about last week or... Yeah, yeah. So I, I did actually go back through a couple of videos and I'm trying to go through my notes to find out where where and when it was that I heard the person say that um, about the uh, prepare for segue going away or, or not being needed anymore. I still haven't found that yet. Well, so I, I can see why it would be. So when you have this... Yeah. This new uh, attribute. Now I don't remember what it's called. It's uh, what was it? It's a, a, Segway. It something uh, uh, IB action. IB action. IB action. Like that. Yeah, but basically, you you mark a certain method with this attribute, and then when you when you call perform Segway before it calls prepare for Segway, uh, the old way or the current way up through iOS twelve, uh, it will just go to the storyboard instantiate a. Uh, a new view controller from the storyboard and call the storyboards init with decoder method. That's the way it works now. And that's fixed. You can't ever change that. It will always do that. What this attribute lets you do is substitute in a different method to call instead of calling the init with decoder. And inside that method, you can call your own custom init method. So you can Mm -hmm. pass in whatever you want to pass it in, whatever you want to inject into the view controller. uh, And it, it avoids having to have all those optional properties that you need to set in prepare for segue, which gets called after the uh, the view controller is already finished initting. That's why it has to be optional. But now, since you can just build a your own custom init method and pass in whatever you want and do whatever kind of configuration you want in the init method, in theory, you don't need prepare for segue at all because your view controller is completely set up by the time that uh, this this uh, attributed method is done. Yes, real time follow up IB segue action. That's the one. Yeah. yeah. You don't have to get away from prepare for segue. Uh, mm-hmm. I guess where you might, well, I don't know. I'd have to think about in what case would you actually gain from having, from using that as opposed to using the new method. But off the top of my head, I can't think of one. So maybe, it, yeah, maybe it, it will go away completely. Mm-hmm. Was that 25 words right. or less? <laughs> no. <laughs> 25 paragraphs or less. Um, all right. So I guess that's it. Unless, Mark, is that sort of your semi pick again this week? Sure. <laughs> All explaining right. the uh, the new storyboard stuff in a haiku yeah and show exactly. true enlightenment mm, I'll that's just true write a haiku on, on that that would be good so let's think about this um yeah if switch is on I, ui view is black i don't know that's not three lines you need three lines it's raining on mount fuji you know <laughs> to get the seven part yeah 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 Yes. If it's raining on Mount Suji, an IB segue action. Yep. Anyway, uh, I guess that's it for another week. Hey, Jaime, if people want to get in touch with you, how would they do that? I'm on Twitter as at Dev with a hair. All right. And Mark, if people want to get in touch with you. Mark R at smapsoft.com. Alrighty. And my name is Timitra. T-I-M-M-I-T-R-A on the Twitter machine is where you'll find me. So until next week, we'll say bye-bye. Bye. Bye. This has been another episode of the More Than Just Code podcast. If you want to find out more about the podcast or see the episode show notes, visit the More Than Just Code website at mtjc.fm. You can get in touch with us on the website or follow us on Twitter at mtjc underscore podcast. If you have feedback or questions, send us a tweet with the hashtag AskMTJC. If you like the show, please consider recommending us to a friend, writing a review on iTunes, or pledging any amount at patreon.com slash mtjc. You can find out details on how to help us out on the website, mtjc.fm slash sponsor us. Now stick around for the after show, and thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.
I went and saw the Stones on Saturday. How was it? It was good. Surprisingly, surprisingly good. I mean, it's a phenomenon, I think, right? The, I get I get that they're, they've are they been doing the same thing for so many years, but the fact that they've been doing the same thing for so many years is a phenomenon. And the audience was actually great. I mean, like, uh, you know, it was like an open field. There were 65,000 people there. Uh, it could have been, you know, super crowded. People could have been jerks. People could have been, you know, drunk and disorderly. And But no, everybody was like, it was like a super, it was like a family picnic. Like, you know, you know, Stone fans who'd seen them, you know, three times and Stone fans who'd seen them 20 times, you know, um, all being respectful and, you know, just enjoying the enjoying the spectacle that is the Rolling Stones, right? In life, live and in person. So, and uh, yeah, this could be the last time. Who knows, right? <laughs> That's what they said sure 25 they, years ago. <laughs> I'm sure they said that all the time. Well, it's amazing, too. Like, I watched the video, or uh, Diane put me onto this this uh, film that's on Netflix, uh, which sort of goes through, it was, it was created during the, their 50th anniversary, which which, believe it or not, was like seven years ago. Yeah, seven years ago, Tw- uh, 2012. Um, yeah, so they're 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 you know they, the movies made before the watch was introduced. Um, it's very interesting to go and see the spectacle in person, like to see you know this kind of crowd. I guess it was very similar to how it would have been in a sense for the Grateful Dead too, right? Mark, Just sort of people getting together and chilling and listening to, to tunes, right? Yeah, except when the Dead were still playing. Now, granted, they stopped playing pretty much the original version 20 years ago, um, but. Yeah. Back then, they were still doing new music and and yeah. still pretty active, you know, scene and and uh, it, it wasn't. I think it wasn't as much of a nostalgia act as these guys are. Well, I mean, they have been putting out. They have done some new recording. I mean, like new recording, meaning that I think their last album was a couple of years ago, and they covered a lot of classic blues stuff, which is I, which is what the Stones have always sort of done. Is you know, if you, if you look at what's been said about them and what they what they intend, is they're just playing blues over and over again, right? Mm-hmm. It's interesting. I mean, they kind of. They survived to the whole surviving of the the drug period of uh, Keith, Richards and, Keith Richards. Keith Richards is still alive at this point. Yeah, yeah. He's yeah. Well, it's funny. It's funny. As they introduced him, he was backstage and, and he you know, like he had a cigarette in his mouth. He was just butting it out as they as they introduced. So he's still back there smoking cigarettes. You know. <laughs> yeah. It, it was a bit. It was funny though. At one point, there uh, they were doing um, Midnight Rambler, which which you know I, I enjoyed their playing of it, but it's not one of my favorite songs by them. But you know, obviously, it's a it's a it's a big big deal with with Stones fans but um you know mick jagger was phenomenal i mean like I, as i was saying in, to friends of mine the stones look great from a distance right yeah like yeah, from don't get up too close yeah like you know he was like he was as far away from me as tim cook was you know for the for the keynote and and uh you know if you watch him you know with the blur of 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 distance you know you, you wouldn't be able to say he's like a 75 year old guy right but you know obviously on the big screen he's looking pretty haggard right uh but he's still moving like he's got the moves like jagger like they say right Right? And then, but it's funny because as he was doing his, you know, he's out there working the audience and clapping and strutting around. Uh, the camera patched, f- flashed back to Ron Wood and Keith Richards, and they're both standing there like old guys with guitars, going, "Is the song over yet? Is the song over yet?" <laughs> but all the while, they're playing phenomenal licks too, right? I have to say, Ron Wood was amazing on guitar. He's he's always been mm. one of my favorite guitarists too, mm. right? So yeah, you know, and, and Keith Richards is the mastery master of minimalism, right? You know, and Charlie Watts keeps in time in the yeah. back there. He plays mostly alternate tunings, right? Is that is that Keith Richards? Yeah, I th- I've heard that too. He plays, yeah, he plays a lot of open tunings and stuff like that, yeah. right? So yeah, yeah. yeah but Ron 
Ron Wood definitely had was doing doing the bulk of the the work on the solos. Yeah, and stuff well, like I never really thought of Keith Richards as a great guitarist. He was more, no, no, he was more atmospheric and the songwriter too, right? I mean, yeah. like he he wrote the original those original licks that he wrote too. It's interesting. So here's a question for you about the Stones, right? And and Neil Young, you know and the Neil song Young. Mr. Okay. Soul. Yep, you know the song Mr. Soul, mm-hmm. right? That's mm-hmm. from I think it's either Neil Young or Buffalo Springfield. Yep. Which came first, Mr. Soul or Satisfaction? And are they not the same song? Satisfaction came way before. Did it? Yeah, yeah. You sure? Mr. Soul was something like 1969. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Am I wrong? I don't know. I, I just, I also um, found interesting sure. that, yeah, but, I found it interesting that they have a very similar riff, right? Am I the first person? 1967. Yeah. Okay. Satisfaction was like the stone, one of the stones. Yeah, it was like 64, hits, right? probably. 1965. Interesting. It's, it's actually less time in between than I thought. Yeah, yeah. I thought it was going to be like, you know, five five to eight years, but it's only two years for us. Yeah, I'd have to go back and see if they're actually the same notes, but they have a very similar sound, right? Sort of, yeah. <laughs> sort of. But, you know, a lot of stuff back then did. <laughs> uh, I guess, I don't know. How about uh, Stairway to Heaven and that Spirit song? Yeah, that's true, that's true. Or Hotel California and that Jethro Tull song. Which song is that? You know that one? No. Oh. Uh, let me find it for you. I hadn't heard of that one. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good one. Especially when you when you find out that the Eagles were the opening band for the Jethro Tull tour. Oh, yeah. They were playing the song a lot just before uh-huh. Hotel California was written. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. That was Don Fiedler wrote that, right? That riff? This one? Jethro Tull. Here it is. There's a, there's a link already like in, in the Google. Did Jethro Tull influence Hotel California? I don't know the full catalog of Jethro Tull, though. I can actually use... I could use Siri for this. Oh, we, oh. Used, we used to know. We used to know, yeah. Yeah. 1969. It's like almost eight years older. Are you guys also aware of the similarities between uh, the main theme song to the Doom video game and Metallica's Master of Puppets? No? Or I'll, I'll throw this in the show notes. Yeah, you're right, Mark. It is very similar. Yeah. Interesting. And then there's every song Led Zeppelin ever wrote and something else. <laughs> yeah, well, they, they were covering blue stuff, too. Yeah. Um, so, Jaime, the Master of Puppets and, and compared to what, Jaime? Oh, oh I have it here, right down here near the picks. Doom, Doom and Master of Puppets. It actually starts out with Master of Puppets first in this video. Oh, it's actually a video where they put the two of them together? Yeah, it's like a minute-ish long. Oh, okay, cool. Tim, do you know the song Blackwater Side by Burt Yanch? No. Hang on a second. Look it up. Yanch with a J. J-A-N-S-C-H. And then, uh, was it She's So Fine and uh, My Sweet Lord? Yeah. What else we got? Burt Yanch, spelled Janch. J- B-E-R-T-J-A-N-S-C-H. B-E-R-T-J-A-N. Oh, yeah, I got him here. Yeah, okay. Blackwater, Blackwater Side. Blackwater Side. Okay. See, see if that's right, familiar. Let me, let me listen to it. Hang on. Um, this Old Man, the nursery rhyme in the I Love You song from Barney. Say that again? This Old Man and I Love You? Yeah, so Barney's I love you, you love me, yeah, yeah. we're a happy yeah, yeah. family, right? <laughs> I don't know, I mean, you're kind of scraping the barrel on some of the, this one. <laughs> I mean, it's it's the same song. It's just a slow version. This old yeah. man, he played one, he played So, Nick so uh, what about Twinkle Twinkle Little Star and A, B, C, D, E, F, G, huh? Huh? About yes. that one? Yes, right? Right? Right. Right on. By the way, Mark, um, so is it a Led Zeppelin song, this Burt Snatch? Yeah. Jet? Oh, yeah. Led Zeppelin Black Mountain Side. Their song is called Black Mountain Side? Uh, uh, go listen to that one. Uh, well, I recognize the down, 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 yeah. down. It's, but, it's called Black Mountain Side. It's on Zeppelin 1. And yeah. 
was credited to Jimmy Page. Yeah. It's exactly the same song. Well, except that Bert Yanch has So lyrics, who came so. first? Because this, this video is from 2008. Who came first? Bert Yanch came way, way before. Did he? Yeah. Huh. Not to mention that the song is a traditional British folk tune. Well, that's... Is. Yeah, okay. When you're talking about traditional, then, then all bets are off. It's like uh, House of the Rising Sun. Was not was it The Animals, or was it Woody Guthrie, or was it uh, yeah, Bob but, Dylan? Yeah, but the fact that Jimmy Page... Well, first of all, the arrangement is is that guitar look. That's yeah. That was Burt Yanch. The traditional yeah. song doesn't have that, but the, the arrangement with that guitar look was, was completely a Burt Yanch invention, and the fact yeah. that Jimmy Page gave himself writing credit for it. Yeah, without any yeah here's Black Mountain side Jimmy Page on the same on the same YouTube page. Yep. Anyway, whatever. <laughs> well, whatever. I'm kind of surprised that that one didn't have more impact, because that's, that's a blatant ripoff. Oh, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I could hear it, and I could hear it in the song, but of course, Jimmy Page is just noodling around on this guitar. It's not really... He's not focused. Not focused on ripping off the other guy. Nice. Yeah. Not that I don't like Jimmy Page, because I do like him a lot, but he certainly ripped off everyone late. Yeah, yeah. and he's been busted a few times. Yep. What are we going to do now that Apple's not innovating any, anymore? And not designing anymore. Yeah, no design. All the designs are frozen from here on in. Yep. Everything will look, <laughs> everything will look like like the uh, 2016 macro mm-hmm. now on. Yeah, trash cans all around. Yep. Yeah. Well, the people are even calling a parallel between the way this new Mac Pro opens the 2019 one and the Cube. Have you seen that? With the little twist off top? Yeah. And just kind of slides upwards? Yeah. yeah. I have a Cube here if you guys ever want to see it. <laughs> I've seen one. What I want to know is whether, you know, when you put the wheels on, can you remove enough weight that there's enough thrust generated by the fans to <laughs> have it propel <laughs> itself, you know, like in uh, like rocket car races? Mm-hmm. And then Who you knows? can mount an iPad on it, and in the iOS 14 uh, deepfake generator, it can scroll around the room or wheel around the room and talk to you like one of those <laughs> robots with the, with, you know, with the iPad, but you don't have to have someone on the other end. Right. Anyway, it's <laughs> like Max Headroom wandering around the office. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, mm-hmm. or have a moose have a, have the moose running on it, going around just bothering <laughs> people, preventing them from actually doing work. We used to use that phrase yeah. back when I was in college. We used to talk about moosing someone. Uh-huh. Did you, Tim? Did you use it use it as a as a verb? No. no. Uh, I mean, it totally came from the moose. It's if you in college, if someone was studying and you know you want to go have a beer or something, uh-huh. you would go and convince them to go have a beer with you. That was moosing them. Oh, really? Yeah, because they were trying to do some real work and you're pulling them away from it and interrupting them and bothering them. Mm. No, never heard that one. Yeah. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.